how many sermons do you think that you've heard in your life? Try and do the math. Try and calculate that. So there's, there's 52 sermons per year if you're in church every Sunday of the year. And if you've been attending church for 10 years, then that's 520 sermons. If it's been longer than that, then it would be more, of course. Maybe you've heard some online as well, or at conferences, or at the prayer meetings. It's quite a lot of sermons that you've probably heard, many of you at least. I wonder how many of those sermons that you've heard have changed your life have changed the direction or the course of your life. If you're a Christian when you heard those sermons, then hopefully every single one of them changed you. The goal of sermons is to call us to turn from our sinful selves and turn to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And today, as we jump back into the book of Proverbs, you're going to hear a sermon on a sermon. A sermon from a woman, a female preacher, Lady Wisdom. So if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 20 to 33. If you recall from the beginning of this series in Proverbs, you'll remember that Proverbs is all about becoming wise. And the foundation of wisdom, we heard right at the beginning, the thesis of the book, it's the fear of the Lord. That's the foundation of wisdom. And these first nine chapters are a series of speeches or lessons or sermons, mostly from a father to his son. But today we get the first of just a few sermons from Lady Wisdom. That is the wisdom of God personified, pictured in human form. Several times the father presents wisdom as a woman that's worthy of pursuing to his young son. That's a pretty epic dad move right there, isn't it? Telling your young son, hey, wisdom is like a beautiful woman. She's worth chasing. We see this picture culminate at the end of the book in this wonderful wife that's worthy of praise in chapter 31. And these speeches from wisdom are therefore intended, the wisdom and from the father to his son, these speeches are intended to create in us an appetite for wisdom for ourselves, to make us hunger to grow in wisdom, to pursue it, to seek it. And so Lady Wisdom here, she's not a real person. She's a vivid picture of God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is not simply God's ability to know everything. That's what theologians call omniscience, knowing everything. As we've seen already in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is far more than just knowing things. Wisdom is living and acting rightly in accordance with the knowledge that we have about God and His Word and His world that He's created. And so God's wisdom is God's ability to know and act perfectly to bring about His perfect purposes in the world. But wisdom is one of those characteristics of God, one of those attributes that He communicates to us, that He shares with us. 
And so God shares His wisdom with us, His creatures. Like a fountain overflowing, He causes wisdom to flow down and shower down upon us if only we would receive it. So encountering wisdom isn't dealing with abstract ideas, but at its heart, it's personal. It's interacting with none other than the God of all wisdom himself. And so let's consider Lady Wisdom's sermon and how it causes us to hunger for God's wisdom in our lives too. Follow along as I read it. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 20 begins, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I'll make my words known to you. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's ask for the Lord's help to understand his word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your spirit, the spirit of wisdom upon us today, so that we would understand the things that you have freely given us in your word. Teach us to have the mind of Christ. For his glory we pray. Amen. So Lady Wisdom is preaching, but she's not preaching at church. She's an open-air preacher. She's a street preacher. Look back at verses 20 and 21 for a moment. It tells us where she is and what she's doing. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of a noisy street, she's crying out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Even these verses might seem simple to us, but this is, stands in stark contrast to the ideas that many people in the world have about wisdom. That wisdom is it's something secret, it's something hidden, it's mysterious. Or that it's only for an elite class of 
people in academia to be wise, something like that. No, here we see that wisdom is shouting aloud in the public places. Wisdom is available to all. Wisdom is for the man on the street. It's for mums going to the market. It's for the hustle and bustle of life's activities. Wisdom teaches us how to live under God and before man, and wisdom is available to all. Wisdom isn't hiding. She's not in some dark alley. She's crying out. She's raising her voice. She's speaking loudly. If we would just listen. And so let's consider what her sermon, her message is for us now. And like any good sermon, Lady Wisdom has three points to her sermon. Point number one, repentance. Repentance. We see that in verses 22 and 23. Point number two, rejection. And we see that in verses 24 through 31. And finally, her third point, results. Results. And we see that in the last two verses, verses 32 and 33. So let's consider wisdom's first point, repentance. Repentance. Obviously, Lady Wisdom has not taken a class in public speaking. Because the first thing she does is starts calling people names. And if that weren't bad enough, she calls them to repentance. She addresses the simple, the scoffer, and the stupid or the fool, in verses 22. And she asks, how long will you go on being foolish? Did you notice her questions? They're a rebuke. How long will you continue in your foolish ways, she's asking. Because it's not that they've had no opportunity to change their ways or to grow in wisdom. No, they've persisted in their foolishness. They've persisted in resisting the call of wisdom. There's three different sets of uh, characters here. Did you notice the simple ones, the scoffers, and then the fools? But they're really all categories of foolish people. And we see them throughout the Proverbs. And so the simple, the simple ones, they're the gullible, the easily influenced. The scoffers, they're the ones that kind of laugh at being wise or laugh at wisdom. They mock it. They scoff. But then finally, we have those that are described as fools. They're the, those that are hardened. They actually despise wisdom, not just scoff at it or ignore it. They hate it. And what we see here in these three titles is a progression of foolishness and its hardening effect over time. So there's a warning here for us. There's a warning for all of us. As we reject wisdom, we become more and more a fool. As we have opportunities to hear wisdom, if we ignore it or reject it or despise it, we become hardened fools. And what does Lady Wisdom call for these simple scoffers and fools to do? She says right there, if you turn at my reproof. Or the NIV puts it even more pointedly, repent at my rebuke. If they would listen to her correction and turn, if they would listen to her reproof and her rebuke, 
And that idea is repeated throughout her sermon. Look at verses 23. We see it first there, and then in 25, and then in verse 30. In fact, you could sum up her whole sermon as a rebuke or reproof. And so wisdom calls for repentance when she rebukes. She calls us to turn. To to repent is simply that. It's to turn away from the course of direction that we're going. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It's pretty simple, but it's, it's like when I'm driving along Sheikh Zayed Highway, and I'm trying to make my way towards Dubai Mall, and I get super confused by all the new flyovers and things, and then I realize too late that I've taken the wrong turn, and now I'm headed towards Sharjah. Oh, gosh, right? Bad news. Sorry for those of you who live in Sharjah. <laughs> I recognize I'm heading in the wrong direction. I need to turn around. Repentance is exactly that. It's recognizing that I'm heading in the wrong direction and then making a decision to change my course and taking the next exit. And wisdom is that voice just like the Google Maps lady who's crying out, you're going the wrong way, Mark. Turn around. Get off at the next exit. Sadly, I often ignore her. That's my, my bad, right? But here... As funny as that sounds, the consequences are far greater than a detour through Sharjah. It's following the highway that's headed for hell. Wisdom is crying out urgently. That's why she's speaking so loudly. That's why she's going throughout the city. She's calling people to repent, to turn away from living a life for themselves, not for God, but against God. Wisdom is following God's way for your life, and so to ignore wisdom is to ignore God. If you're a Christian, you've already heard this call, the call of Lady Wisdom, and you've already turned when you first believed in Jesus. You turned from your sin and living for yourself to trust in King Jesus and to follow Him. That's what becoming a Christian is. It's one big U-turn of faith and repentance, pledging yourself to following the Lord Jesus. But it's also important to remember what Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote when he said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of a believer be one of repentance. And so, brothers and sisters, repentance isn't a one-and-done deal that you just do at the beginning of your Christian life and then never again, and you're, you're okay. No, repentance should actually characterize Christians from that point onwards throughout the entirety of their lives. We constantly, daily, turn away from sin and turn back to God. We're trained in righteousness. We grow in wisdom, living the way that God is pleased by. And these are not the marks of great Christians turning away from sin and trusting in Christ and doing that daily. No, these are the marks of a true Christian. Each act of repentance, it doesn't need to be grand or even very obvious to people around you, but these regular turns 
away from sin and back to the Lord in faith and repentance, these are what wisdom is calling us to do. These are the marks of a Christian life. And so we should take time. We should consider if our own lives are marked by daily repentance. We should ask, are we actively turning away from sin as we hear wisdom's rebuke in sermons or from our spouses or our housemates or our fellow church members? Earlier in the service, we heard from Hebrews chapter 3 about how we should be exhorting one another every day as long as it's called today so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We should ask ourselves, does this mark us as a church community? Are we calling each other to turn back to the Lord Jesus regularly? Friends, that's the mark of a true Christian. A life of turning from sin, turning to Christ who defeated our sin through His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave so that we could walk in a new turned-around way, a new turned-around life, a life of repentance. So let me add my own plea to Lady Wisdoms. Let me join her in saying, don't ignore this. If it's for the first time, repent today. If not, make it a regular part of your life to turn from sin back to the Lord in faith. Even today, ask yourself, what is one way that you've been ignoring God's call to wisdom in your life? Confess it to Him and pray for His strength to turn in obedience to Christ. But Lady Wisdom doesn't just call us to repentance. She even gives us a motive to repent. She gives us incentive to repent. Look there at verse 23 and consider the glorious promise that she offers for those who do turn. She says, if you turn at my reproof, behold. Behold means, this is really important. Listen up. It's like an exclamation point. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. And so, she says, wisdom says that she will pour herself out to those who listen. She'll impart greater knowledge to those who listen and learn from her. And this is exactly what Jesus meant when He said, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Basically, what Lady Wisdom and the Lord Jesus are promising is that if we listen, if we listen to the voice of Jesus, if we pay attention to what He's telling us, and if we act upon it, if we use it, He'll give us even more. He'll add more wisdom. He'll pour Himself out to us. As we take steps of active obedience to Christ and His wisdom, we grow. This is the opposite effect of the, 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 the opposite side of the hardening effect of foolishness that we saw in the simple and the scoffer and the fool. It's the softening effect of wisdom. As we humble ourselves to be corrected by wisdom's rebukes, 
we become more teachable and we become more receptive to wisdom. We become increasingly wise. And as we grow in wisdom, it's easier to grow in wisdom because we're humbled. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow in wisdom? Then act on the wisdom that you've already heard. As I often say in my sermons, I I ask you to allow at least one thing that you've heard in our service or one thing that you've heard in my sermon to change you, how you think, how you feel, how you live. Or when you spend time together throughout the week, as brothers and sisters, as you stir one another up to, to, to love and good deeds, listen to what others are encouraging you to do in following Christ. Confess and call one another to repentance and faith. And then listen. Act upon it. Often wisdom speaks to us through a brother or a sister who knows us and challenges us about sin that they see in our lives or ways that we're neglecting the good that God has called us to. And so listen and turn and you'll grow. The more you do it, the more you'll you'll learn and grow as a result. But the thing is, as well as promising more to those who use His Word, Jesus goes on in that verse in Mark 4 to say, For to the one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a warning here for those who reject wisdom's offer as well. Those who do not listen to wisdom, those who reject Him, will continue to be hardened by their foolishness. And that's exactly the response that we see from the fools in verses 24 through 31. Rejection. Rejection. That's the second point of wisdom's sermon. In verse 24, it transitions from the call to repentance to the response of the fools. Look there at verses 24 and 25. We see that fools reject wisdom. They don't take the offer. They refuse it. They refuse to listen, and wisdom says they don't heed her hand when she stretches out her hand. That phrase, it's kind of interesting. It could be understood as wisdom is beckoning them, saying, come, come, but they reject her. Or it could be understood that wisdom is, is raising out her hand to teach them to follow wisdom, and, she, and they still won't listen. It's like a discipline or something. But they ignore her counsel. They ignore her reproof, and they receive none of it, because fools reject wisdom. But then we see the tables turn in verse 26. It's not just fools reject wisdom. Finally, wisdom rejects fools. Scoffers have scoffed at wisdom, but she'll have the last laugh. She says, when your calamity comes upon you. This is the result of their rejection. The result of their refusal to heed wisdom's rebuke. They've chosen to ignore her call. They've not turned to her. They've turned away from her. They've gone full steam into disaster. And Proverbs paints life in black and white terms. It says that the fool, the end of fools will always be disaster and destruction. Terror will come upon them like a storm, like a whirlwind, and then it will be too late. Oftentimes we see this in 
this life, don't we? Perhaps people you know, going full steam ahead, even when you've given them counsel, they've rejected it, and now they find themselves in disaster. Perhaps it's some of even you here, seated here, seated here today, that the consequences of a foolish choice that you made in your past, you're still feeling the effects of it. Choices made without the guidance of godly wisdom, no amount of wisdom now, after the fact, can completely remove the devastation that was caused by those choices. So, listening to and seeking wisdom will often spare you from facing great calamities in your life. It will keep you from the storms of life. Not always, but normally. And so, let that be an incentive to you who are younger here today. Even some of you who are children here today. Let me encourage you to seek wisdom and spare yourself from great difficulty in life. Seek God's wisdom to spare you. Seek His direction. Allow it to be the compass that directs your life's big decisions. Listen to and learn from your parents, especially as they teach you from God's Word. Or if you're young adults, Find spiritual parents in this church. Ask them, what were the ways that they grew in wisdom? Ask them what they think about decisions that you're making. Ask them, what's the best decisions that they've ever made? And how did God guide them in making those decisions in wisdom? And then even ask them about their mistakes. Ask them about the things that they've done that they regret the most, how they failed to fear God, how they acted independent of Him. But while these things might not always happen in this life, ultimately, it's always true that fools will face the whirlwind in the light of eternity. Even if the fool manages to dodge and escape calamity this side of eternity, they will face the storm of God's wrath on the day of judgment. And then it will be too late for them to seek wisdom even if they were to seek it diligently. Verse 28 describes it. It says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer them. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Did you notice the, the transition that happened there in verse 28? Look back, at, look back at her sermon. It's right there in verse 28. Wisdom has gone from directly addressing the fool's over and over again, she's been speaking and saying, you, you, you. But then she shifts. She shifts in verse 28 to speaking about the fools in the third person. Then they will call. They will seek. The fool's continued rejection of wisdom has led to a breakdown of the relationship. Wisdom has turned herself away from them. There's a warning here for us. Friends, don't be fooled into thinking that you can put off responding in humble repentance to wisdom's call for now, but you'll listen later. You'll make sure that you do. 
Don't kid yourself into believing that you'll listen tomorrow or the next day or the next year, but not today. Because there's no telling when that day will come upon us. It could be before the end of this sermon that Jesus comes back. Or it could be years from now. But when He comes, there will be no further warning. He'll come like a thief in the night. Verses 29 to 31 give us the reason why they refused her call in the first place. Why they will face the judgment, the storm. It says there in verses 29 through 31 that the root of their foolishness is a heart that is bent against God. They hate knowledge. They don't choose the fear of the Lord. They reject wisdom's counsel. They despise being corrected. So wisdom's sermon, is, it's almost a meditation on the second half of the thesis that we got in chapter 1, verse 7, just further up on your page probably, that fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're seeing that right here in her sermon. They reject her because they hate the wisdom of God. They don't want to live according to God's ways. They refuse to fear the Lord. We saw that right at the beginning when wisdom's sermon began, when she said, how long will you simple ones love being simple? They're not innocent. They love their simpleness. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? They, They love it. They relish their scoffing. And how long will fools hate knowledge? They're not seeking knowledge. They hate it. Do you see that foolishness is not only a problem with our minds, but it's a problem with our hearts. What we love and what we hate. We reject God's wisdom because we love our own foolishness. And we love foolishness ultimately because we hate God. Wisdom says, turn and bow the knee to Jesus, but because of our sin, we were all born rebels against God. We all answer, no thanks, wisdom, I'd rather figure it out my own way. Jesus teaches us that it's out of the overflow of our hearts that we do the things that we do, why we say the things that we say, or think the things that we think. The Proverbs liken our hearts to the point in the earth where water breaks forth and springs and rivers of life flow out. We do all that we do because of our hearts, because of the things that we love and because of the things that we hate. And so the place to start as we consider seeking wisdom is by examining our own hearts. And we have to be honest with ourselves. Do you fear God? Do you love wisdom? What describes your relationships to God's wisdom that's laid out for us in His Word, for example? Would you talk about your relationship with God's Word as one of delight or disinterest? Are you eagerly anticipating gathering with the saints to hear from God's Word Every week is this time, Sunday afternoons, 3 to 4.30, the focal point of your week. 
Is gathering in God's name with the promise of His Spirit here among us what you live for? Or is it a religious obligation that you have on Sunday afternoons? Are you more excited about the next sermon in the series or the next episode that's going to drop this week? Do you long to be with God's people? Do you need to be pulled away at the end of the service? Or do you long to get away at the end of the service? Do you appreciate it when a fellow Christian uses the double-edged sword of God's Word to pierce your soul and call you to repentance? Are you thankful for that? Are you grateful? The same sword that wounds us also heals us. It exposes our sin, but it offers grace to overcome and cover our sin. Do you hate it when the preacher gets to that point in the sermon when it feels like he is speaking to you directly about ways that you need to repent, like I'm doing right now? Or do you love it and think, I needed that? Even that painful prick of conviction, I know it's good for me. Friends, wisdom is calling us all to turn. Don't refuse her. If you reject her, who knows how long we'll have before it's too late. Verse 31 tells us what will happen. It tells us what happens to the fool that rejects wisdom. It says, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. Fools have planted seeds of foolishness, and now they're forced to eat its fruit. They've sown in pride, hating wisdom's correction, and so now they'll reap the horrible harvest of their decisions. They will have their fill of their own devices. As Matthew Henry, the commentator, puts it, those who perish must thank themselves. They can lay no blame upon anyone else. It is their own devices that have led to this point. It's because of their sin that they face the storm. The calamity they face is the inevitable outcome of their choice, the choice to reject God's Word and His wisdom. Fools aren't victims of a cruel fate. They're culprits of their own calamity, which is wisdom's third and final point. It's the conclusion of her sermon is that the results of choosing to ignore wisdom or the result of choosing to listen. And this is the final point, results. We see it in verses 32 and 33. They serve to sum up all that wisdom's been telling us by laying out the results. It's pretty simple. Disregard wisdom and die. Or listen to her and live. Disregard wisdom and die, or listen to her and live. Those are our choices. And that's why wisdom's call is so urgent, because the choice is a matter of life and death. And there's a lesson here for us, brothers and sisters, like Lady Wisdom. We should be urgent as we share the message that we have received the message of calling people to repentance and faith in Christ. 
the, the message that should take us out to the streets and to the marketplaces and to meeting places and the public squares. We're called to go to all people and to proclaim a message of repentance from sin, to call people to turn from their sins and to follow the Lord Jesus, who Himself came to call fools to abandon their way, to abandon the broad path that leads to death and to destruction, and to follow Him. Jesus walked perfectly in the fear of the Lord, but willingly plunged Himself headfirst into the storm of God's judgment against sin. When He went to the cross, Jesus faced the terrors of God's wrath as He hung on the cross. And if you remember in the Gospels, it literally turned dark with the storm of divine judgment in the middle of the day. Jesus died to deliver us from the judgment that we deserve for resisting wisdom, His wisdom. And He rose again so that we might dwell with Him forever and ever at ease. Jesus did this so that He could offer us forgiveness, so that we could turn from our foolishness, so that we could receive His Spirit to be poured out upon us, the Spirit of wisdom, so that we could walk in the fear of the Lord, so that we could have the hope of eternal life dwelling with Him in perfect peace and security. Friends, that's the hope of the gospel, and it's offered freely to all. All you need to do is turn and accept this offer by faith. Turn from trusting in your own wisdom and trust in Christ, God's Son, the Savior of the world. Don't wait. Don't wait. Turn to Him today. Brothers and sisters, there is often, uh, there is also the offer of security that we see presented here at the end of our sermon. It says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. And so, brothers and sisters, there's often security in this life found in walking in wisdom, but even in this life, even if it's filled with trials, even if it feels anything but secure and at ease, we know that the outcome of our lives is secure. We know that we have a steadfast hope that can't be lost or taken away. We know that we will dwell securely. We will dwell at ease. Christ is coming back. He will take us home to be with Himself. We know that we have the hope of eternity when He will wipe away every tear from our eyes Every sorrow and sickness and pain and death will be wiped away completely. Don't be tempted to turn from that. Don't be tempted to turn from Him, to trust in anything else to dwell secure. Remember that in Christ, we're more than conquerors. In Christ, we're indestructible, and we have peace with God, a peace that's unshakable. As we often sing, on Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so, brothers and sisters, even if you face what is difficult and challenging here today, this week, in this life, this side of eternity, hold fast to the hope that you will 
dwell secure in the arms of your Savior. You will be at ease. And the trials of this life won't even be worth comparing to the glory that we will have with Him. So we can sum up wisdom's sermon and my sermon as turn to God and live or turn away and die. There are only two ways to turn, and all of eternity hangs on which way you'll turn, whether you'll listen to wisdom and her call or reject Him. Which way will you turn? Consider that as you go from here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that in your wisdom you extend mercy towards fools like us. That in your grace you offer forgiveness through Christ to all who would turn from their folly and trust in his goodness. Grant us grace to turn today, whether for the very first time or just once again. And pour out your spirit into our hearts to have lives that are marked by turning at your correction. Lord, would you use each and every one of us in this church to call one another and even the world to turn to you in trust. Give us hearts that fear and love you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.